David Sutcliffe is a somatic therapist and certified core energetics practitioner with over 15 years experience. Things really started to change for me. Awareness is not enough. That's what I've realized. What I always say is don't resist your resistance. A former actor, he is well known for his roles in popular TV series, Gilmore Girls and Private Practice and the movies Under the Tuscan Sun and Happy Endings. That was really the beginning of the end of my acting career. And I had a successful career, but I lost my passion for it because my passion was going into a different direction. David has also famously interviewed Andrew Tate and the video has over 3 million views on YouTube. David, I am absolutely delighted to have you here on the Modern Warrior podcast. A man who helps others heal. And I believe you've been on quite a journey yourself, a, a journey of healing, a journey of progress, a journey of self-development. And I know you've been through several different chapters of your life as well. So I'm very interested to dive deep into those chapters, hear more about the type of person you have been and the type of person you are today and how the past has sort of influenced you to become the type of man you are today and has influenced the type of work you do today, which, as I said, involves helping others heal. My first question is, in, in your own journey, in your own past, have you had to go through a healing process and, and what did that look like for you personally? Well, uh, it was a long process. Uh, it started in my mid twenties, uh, with going to therapy. I w became aware that there were uh, unconscious patterns in my thinking and in my decision-making and uh, I was, you know, in a cycle uh, loop with uh, one of my girlfriends. We kept having the same fight over and over. And I just had this intuition that there was something going on inside me that I didn't understand. And that, that concerned me. Uh, I was aware of this concept of the unconscious, but I, I didn't really know what that meant. And I didn't really know how it influenced our behavior. So I started psychotherapy in my mid-20s and, and learned a lot about myself, mainly the connection between some of the things that had happened to me in my childhood, how that was impacting me as an adult and uh, how it was influencing um, the decisions that I was making, my beliefs about myself, my beliefs about the world and uh, was causing me a lot of suffering, uh, self-sabotage and avoidance and isolation and anger and all the things. Uh, and then... I got deeper into uh, a therapy called core energetics a, a few years after that. I started experimenting. I, I went to all different kinds of therapists. I tried gestalt therapy. And then finally, I found core energetics. And core energetics is a somatic psychotherapy. It means of the body. And what was going on in the talk therapy is, is I was understanding what I would call the math of my problems, as I just described it, the connection between past and present. But uh, it wasn't having that much of an impact on my life. The awareness was great, but I was still repeating these patterns. And I had an instinct that I, I needed to feel. And I wasn't really feeling. I couldn't cry. and I wasn't in touch. And I knew that in part because I was an actor and... Uh, there were certain scenes that I had a hard time uh, bringing up the emotions that I needed to bring up in order to play the scene effectively, to be authentic with it. And so I knew that I had some emotional blocks. And this therapy uses different physical techniques, um, like hitting and punching and kicking and breath work. And um, that helped me feel instantly. I started to like stuff came up and it shocked me. It surprised me the depth of the feeling that was inside me. <clears throat> I had no idea. And that felt great. It was a little scary, but it felt great. It felt liberating. Um, 
a lot of re repressed memories came up. I really started to connect the dots through that process. And I just kept going deeper into that and eventually discovered a teacher, a woman named Ann Bradney. I went to her week-long workshop up at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. And she she practiced this uh, work, but she had her own style and technique and philosophy that she called radical aliveness. And it was done in a group setting. And there was something about uh, her and her methodology that really lit me up. I responded to it. I understood it. Um, I had deep, cathartic, transformational experiences. I witnessed others having the same. Uh, and I, at the end of that first workshop, for whatever reason, there was a part of me that just said, I want to know everything she knows, and I want to be able to do what she does. Who knows why, you know, why are we drawn to things, but I fell in love with it. And a couple of years later, I uh, enrolled in her training program, went through the four-year training program, and then did a, a year of graduate studies at the Core Energetics Institute in New York. And, and that was really the beginning of the end of my acting career. And I had a successful career in Hollywood. I was working as an actor. I'm best known uh, as uh, Christopher on the very famous television show, Gilmore Girls. I still get recognized almost every day of my life for that show. Uh, but I lost my passion for it because my passion was going into a different direction and uh, slowly started doing workshops on my, of my own, started taking on clients and eventually made the commitment to do that full time. And now here I am. For many people to make that change to seek out a therapist or go through a healing process or begin a healing process, it usually requires a massive catastrophe in their life or a huge pain point to become the catalyst for change. Was that how it was for you? Or yeah. is that how it has to be for everyone? I think we only change when we hit a threshold of pain. When what, the was that, what, what was that like? What was that like for you? That, 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 that well, I, I got married to a woman, a uh, lovely woman, but uh, not the right woman for me. And we had this on again, off again, tempestuous relationship that we thought we might uh, solve the problems we have uh, had by getting married, <laughs> which was a horrible idea. And four months into it, I realized the mistake that I'd made. And it just woke me up. I thought, how did I get myself into this situation? It, it was not a good situation. And, and that's when I really understood that there was something deep going on inside me that, that I did not understand. And, and, you know, I wasn't, I got married when I was 31. So I wasn't a young man anymore. I mean, and, and it was a painful mistake, painful for me, painful for her. It was also, of course, deeply humiliating, you know, you get married, you announce it to everybody, and then four months later, you're you're splitting up. So, I felt completely out of control, and it, it's I think it's like an addict who hits rock bottom. At a certain point, you just have to surrender, and that feeling of out of being out of control it it, it terrified me. Uh, all the the foundations that I had in my life, I could feel them like dissolve underneath me. And I was thrust into the unknown. And I knew that if I didn't deal with this, if I didn't confront it, if I didn't try to get to the bottom of it, um, I was just going to do this in some other way in the future. So it felt life or death, really. But I, yeah, it was, it was you know, I think most people only change when they hit some massive pain point. And the fear of change feels less threatening than the pain. And that's where I got to. It helped that I was interested in, in, in therapy from the beginning. I was always curious about it. I took to it. So I felt grateful that at the very least, I had a place to go and try to sort this stuff out. Now, it, it takes a while. I mean, you hear a lot of people 
say, well, I went to therapy and it didn't work for me. And what I would say to that is, and that, that I'm not suggesting therapies for everybody. I think there's a lot of ways to heal and a lot of wonderful modalities, uh, but you have to find the right therapist. You have to find the right person or group for you. And that can take some time. And, uh, and that's, that's, as I said earlier, that's what I did. I mean, I, I explored, I mean, I think before I found my first therapist, I, I think I went to th three other people and, uh, and I just kept, you know, I just kept searching and I, I was just, you know, became part of my identity. Really. Um, I was always a searcher. I was always curious. I was always interested in, in, uh, psychology and, and spirituality uh, transcendental psychology. I started reading Ken Wilber when I was in my early twenties and, uh, Terrence McKenna and, and others, and always interested in that. So uh, it just, it felt like a natural course of study for me. What's interesting is you, you say you started therapy in your early twenties, yet you still went on to make, uh, potentially monumental mistake when you were yeah. 31 in, in this yeah. marriage. <clears throat> so why do you think you still fell into that pitfall at, at 31, having gone through so many years of therapy and having, I'd imagine, developed a, a fairly decent level of self-awareness? I, I I did develop a decent level of self-awareness, but I, I hadn't gotten to the root of my issues. And that's why this, this core energetics work really uh, blew me away. It wasn't until I started doing that work that things really started to change for me. Awareness is not enough. That's what I've realized. Um, awareness is, is essential. You have to have awareness to, at the beginning of the process. But in order to change, from my perspective, you have to be willing to feel the feelings that the child could not feel and liberate them from your system. You have to grieve the loss of what you the loss of what you long for and did not get. And the mind has a belief unconsciously that if we feel those feelings, it will annihilate us essentially. They will overwhelm us. That's why they're repressed. That's why we cut off from them because they were so overwhelming. So that that idea is still stuck in there somewhere. And so we're, we become very, very good at avoiding them. And the mind is quite tricky at, at rationalizing um, why we need not feel them or just ignoring them altogether. And we'll numb ourselves with alcohol or tobacco or cannabis or, or porn or the phone, whatever it is. Um, and a lot of people don't come out of it. Um, a lot of people continue to play these patterns out for the rest of their lives. Um, and I could feel that potentiality in me, but uh, yeah, this <clears throat> cornergetics, man, it just, it, 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 once those feelings were liberated, I, I knew something in an embodied way, not in a conceptual way. And that, that changes it. Right. Um, and it, 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 the whole, there's a whole other level of awareness. Now that said, it still takes work to break your patterns because you then have to do things that are different than what you've done before. And they don't feel familiar. And sometimes because they're not familiar or it feels awkward, you judge them as wrong or that's not right for me. So if, for instance, if, you, if you're a woman and you've spent your whole life dating assholes or you're a guy and you spent your whole life dating you know, crazy women, that's exciting for you. That's what you know. That's what's alive for you. And so to make a change and to date somebody who's different than that, who's perhaps more stable, and there's more potential for a, a, a long-term relationship. It 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 doesn't feel good at first. It, it you don't know what it is, and so the mind can pull away from it. But you have to force yourself to have new experiences, and and really that's what uh, I'm when I'm teaching in my workshops. That's what I'm thinking. I want to give people a new experience of themselves. 
And so when you have a new experience of yourself in, in, in terms of how you relate to other people, when you take a risk, you do something new, it changes you. It changes uh, the patterning in your brain. It changes how you perceive the world. It changes how you perceive yourself. So awareness is not enough. You actually have to take action uh, in order to change. Like it, it comes, it's through the action that the brain learns that it can be different. And what are some of the strategies and tools that someone could use <clears throat> when they when they meet that resistance of of change as in they've developed the awareness, they feel that this is not the right place for them to be or the right relationship for them to be in. They want to veer towards or go towards something that's more meaningful or that's more aligned with their new set of values. But again, they're met with that resistance of the unknown. Mm -hmm. So how can they navigate that in a healthy way? It's a, it's a great question. Um, what I always say is don't resist your resistance. So you have to develop a relationship with your resistance, with that part of you that says no, no to life, no to vulnerability, no to surrender, no to trust, no to need. There's that aspect of us that that it's a defense against, um, uh, well, essentially against vulnerability. And it's effective. If I'm separate, if I don't surrender, if I don't let go, I'm protected. And so we, in some sense, we have to honor it. We have to honor that resistance because it it did its job when we were children. It 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 did, in fact, protect us. It was uh, a strategy. It was uh, a choice that we made unconsciously, but it was a choice that we made, and it was the right choice at that time. Uh, there was nothing else we could have done because we were in a situation where we were vulnerable, helpless. So we can't shame ourselves for the resistance or even for the bad behavior uh, that comes out of that resistance, the avoidance. <clears throat> we have to, we have to uh, make peace with it. We have to understand what it is, that it's not necessarily a moral fa failing um, or some indictment on our character. It's a pattern that got established. And so that's like the first thing is to understand that like all of your, the things that the behaviors that you have that you don't like about yourself, uh, it's, it's all got established. There's symptoms, there's symptoms of your defense. And so you have to kind of honor it. You know, I had a, a moment with my lady, uh, when we fight, uh, she wants to make up right away. And I, I need a little time. And we were lying in bed and she wanted to snuggle up. And I was, you know, kind of said, I'm not ready. And, you know, she's fine with it. But I really, you know, I closed my eyes and I, I felt in to myself and thought, what, what's going on here? Why, why are you still protecting yourself? You know, you can trust this woman. She's a good woman. And um, I had this image of like a dragon over my heart. And it was like a dragon is protecting my heart. And I said, oh, that's what's going on. Now this dragon thinks it's doing its job. Like it, and it's, it, it values its job. It's the, the only job that it's ever known. And what I realized in that moment is that that dragon, um, that I need to uh, persuade it that it's no longer needed. That there was a time where my heart needed it protecting but I'm an adult now <laughs> and uh, I can tolerate uh, vulnerability. I can, I can tolerate getting my heart broken and I'll survive it. The child could not, but I can. And so I, I, I got into a dialogue with this dragon inside me and, and, and tried to convince it that Vincent that I, you know, I was safe now and that, um, that it could channel that energy somewhere else maybe towards creation and not so much against defense, but you can imagine the dragon. That's the only job it's ever known. And that's, that's like your defense. If that's, if that's the way you've been set up, if that's the way you've been programmed, if that's all you ever know, it's not an easy process to suddenly just decide, Oh, I'm going to let down my defenses. So it takes um, a lot of uh, patience and, and tenderness and understanding 
And and so saying all that, you know, to answer your question, I think you have to go really slow. That's the main thing. I think you have to take your time. And I think you need help. I think whether that's from a therapist or from a group of people, I, I think it's impossible to change on your own. You need other people to hold you in the places where you cannot yet hold yourself. They will help you get strong. And then ultimately you will be strong enough to stand on your own. But when you're going through that change, the healing process, just like if you were healing from some physical injury, you might, you know, you need a cane or you need somebody to help you get out of bed. Like you, you need help and you also need tenderness and you need time. And it's really the same principle. The, the person to help you or the person to support you or keep you accountable should not be your romantic partner. Do you agree with that or disagree? Um, I, I think they can help. I don't think they should be your primary accountability partner. I mean, it's built into relationship. You know, you're, you're, you're vulnerable with them and they know, they know you better than anyone knows you. So I think it's, it makes sense uh, to some degree that uh, they're going to help you be accountable. But I mean, for men, I think it's, it's better to have other men hold you accountable. I mean, that that's the power of this program that, that I'm running the 16th, week men's intensive is um they have to be accountable i mean no porn no weed no booze uh and then there's other workout on the regular eat well and they got to check in every day on on our uh, message group and every time one man checks in that inspires another man and the, the group together keeping each other accountable you know it's a little competition and it really works. It's 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 effective. And I I don't think any of those guys would be able to do it exclusively on their own. So I think we it's important that um, for men that we're around other men uh, to keep us accountable. I mean, you know, we all know if you go work out. You, I mean, I can work out hard on my own. I'm, I, I'm proud of that. You know how hard I'll go. But if I'm with another guy or a group of guys, it, I'm definitely going to work out harder. So it's just it's just that simple. You're 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 better on a team. And when it comes to change in our lives, and I can relate to what you've gone through and, and the work you're doing, there's a process of letting go. You have to let a lot of things go, let a lot of people go potentially. In your own personal experience, what were some of the most difficult things for you? to let go in order to get to this point of your life? It's a, it's a good question. I, I think look, there's a, a false sense of power that uh, comes from competition or the desire to dominate or control or assert your will over something. They're in and of themselves. I, I don't want to say that they're they're negative, but if that's your default and it's feeding your ego, it can be a problem. And I was uh, a good athlete when I was younger, and I got a lot of ego gratification from that. But there was a way that I showed up in sports that was uh, I was possessed, and not in a healthy way. And so, but it's all I knew. And it was, it was the defense that I used to survive my childhood. So in a place where I didn't feel safe, my uh, defense was I'm going to attack first. So if there's, you know, if there's not literally, if there's a fight, like I'm going to hit first, like I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to appear weak. And I'm going to be the aggressor. Um, I want to appear scary to people. Um, and that's the thing that's going to keep me safe. Again, it's fine if there's consciousness around that. But when you're meeting the world from that place, almost on default, you're probably seeing threats in places that they're not there. And I think I pushed a lot of people away. Uh, because of that. 
And I think I kept myself really isolated and lonely because of that. <clears throat> so uh, I didn't want to show my vulnerability. I didn't want to show my need. I only wanted people to see my power, my strength. And I, I just lost out on a lot of life and connection because of it. So giving up that was hard for me because uh, as I said, it was, there was so much that I, I got from it. It's part of the reason that I was successful. And I, a lot of people have this, you know, uh, they, uh, they get successful with a set of skills, some tools that they have, and then they are unsatisfied with their life. They're frustrated. And to convince that person like, Hey, you know, I know all these tools that you use, this way of being got you what you wanted, but it's also why you're miserable. So something's got to change, but the belief is, well, if I give this up, I'm going to lose everything that I have. That's not necessarily true, but, but that's how it feels to them. And that's why a lot of people can resist therapy. They feel like they're, they're going to lose their edge somehow. They're going to lose the thing that makes them competitive, particularly men. It's just not true. Like, and, and what, what I try to teach people is you don't have to give it up. It, you just have to use it more consciously with more awareness and not have it be the only tool in your toolkit. And so for me, that was the hardest thing to give up, to really, to soften, to allow my, to trust, trust my vulnerability, uh, to allow people to see the places where I didn't feel strong or I needed help, or I felt weak, or I, I had a need, you know, whatever that was. And, and I think connected to that was, <clears throat> I had to learn to allow myself to trust people. I didn't realize this till later in my life that I, I didn't, I didn't trust people. I was suspicious. I, I was I wasn't conscious of it, but, and of course, like if you're walking around kind of suspicious, not trusting people it creates a vibe and it creates separation. And it, so nobody can really get close to you. Um, so I had to learn to, to let go of that and and give people the benefit of the doubt i mean be discerning obviously but but if you can't if you if you make a choice not to trust anybody well it's hard to be in relationship with anybody so that those 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 were the hardest things for me to let go of and they still come up i mean they're you know there's vestiges of them inside me and so i'm always having to keep an eye on them if there's a new situation or i'm in a new dynamic i'm always you know, I'm, I'm trying to be aware of my patterning and, and, and is it coming up? And, and then I try to counteract it or mitigate against it in some way. Yeah. There's a sense of uh, escapism that that offers as well, isn't it? Through the, right. Athlete, uh, the, the sports that you, that you partook in, but also through your acting and was the acting another escape from your true character, your, your true self. I think I think that's right. I I didn't understand that early on, but uh, it was a way. I mean, it was a way that I could express myself, and it was exciting. But there were unconscious factors that were motivating me uh, in the in the pursuit. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a you feel special. Like if once you're a successful actor, there's a place where you're, you're special. You're not like other people. You're, you're, you're famous now and you're making a lot of money and uh, people are complimenting you all the time. And that, which, you know, what does that do? It actually creates separation. It's, it's isolating. It's lonely. And so the thing that I wanted uh, as an actor, which was uh, to be seen Right. I don't think I felt seen as a child. And so there was some unconscious desire. Like if I become an actor, I'm going to be seen for who I am. And then I'm going to get the love that I want. And everything, everything is going to flow from that. But of course I was hiding behind this career, hiding behind characters, 
I wasn't really being seen for who I was. People were projecting things onto me or projecting things onto the character. Um, and it left me ultimately once the high was over the high of, you know, getting the part or being on television or being recognized, whatever it was, it left me feeling isolated and alone. And that that's, that's what really led me to do, um, commit to this path all the way, uh, was because in that place I could see like, this isn't, this isn't good for me. Like this doesn't feel emotionally healthy, at least how I'm relating to it. I don't, I don't want to make that claim for all actors, but for me, yes, there was something I think I was, I was hiding behind. It allowed me not to confront something. And I saw it, uh, frankly, in, in a lot of the actors that I knew that the fame and the money that they had, there was no motivation for them to change their ego was completely gratified and and i i understood it you know they they you're in a bubble and if if you're famous and everybody's kissing your ass all the time and you're making lots of money why 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 change why confront your deepest darkest fears and and pain um and 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 change everything in your life because what what may happen is you might find out that you don't want to be where you're at you don't actually like what you're doing. And then, you know, what are you going to do about it? Because that's a, that's a scary thing to realize. It was certainly scary for me at 35 years old, having achieved this success and, and really was on the precipice of, of even more success. I mean, I was, I was in a good groove and I was established and I had, you know, great agency and manager, all the stuff. I mean, I was primed to suddenly realize like, I don't, I don't think this is what I want to be doing. It was that that it, ter it was terrifying at that at that age, and I blocked it out for a long time. But eventually, I I had to confront it and I had to deal with it. What was that leap of faith like? It sounds like like it was an extremely difficult transition for you. I mean, you spent twenty years acting. You built yourself up to this highly reputable actor in in Hollywood. You were starring in the show, as you said a lot of glam, a lot of fame, a lot of money. Again, somebody from the outside looking in right now would think, wow, that's the dream. But yeah, there's a, there's a misconception there. Yeah, there is a misconception. It, it And it was a dream, you know, but, but no different than any other dream. You set your sights on something and, and, and you accomplish that goal. It, it, it feels amazing. I remember running the, uh, LA marathon in 2003. I'd never run a marathon before. I, you know, I was a runner, but it was like the most I would run five or six miles, but, uh, I decided to run it. And, um, I remember getting to the finish line and, you know, it was like, I ran it four hours or something, you know, not, not, nothing fast, just, just a journeyman runner. But when I crossed the line, the, the level of excitement I felt I, I enjoy, I was like, I, I can't imagine that an Olympic athlete winning a gold medal feels any different than what I feel right now. Like that it's all relative. And I remember a baseball player saying that, that he he was a professional baseball player, hit lots of home runs in the major leagues, retired, and then started playing men's league slow pitch in his hometown. And he said, you know what? Hitting a home run in, in my slow pitch league feels exactly the same as hitting a home run in the majors. And so I just, I don't know why I I found that that interesting. So I, I guess the point is, yeah, it's all it's all relative, but um it was very exciting. And there's a lot of attention coming at you. So yeah, giving all that up was difficult. Uh, especially, I think there were a lot of people around me that thought I had gone crazy. Um, I was established and now you're going to go off and do this weird therapy. What, yeah. I mean, there was some kind of admiration, I think, about it, that I was following something and I was dedicated to it. But um, I think there was some concern. My manager, I think, thought I'd lost my mind. And I wasn't sure that I hadn't lost my mind. I really wasn't sure for a long time, you know, am I making a mistake? Why am I doing this? I had a lot of questions for myself, a lot of doubt. Um, and it took me a couple 
tries to officially retire. Like, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm done. And then they call me, you know, agent would call me, you know, a month later. It's like, well, we got this one audition. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe one more job, you know, make a little bit of money. And, and, and that went on for about a year and a half. And until I finally realized like I had to cut the cord, I had to stop it. And, and then, yeah, then you're in the unknown. You know, you're, and I was at the time I was in, you know, I wasn't a young man. I was in my mid forties. So starting a new career, uh, mid forties was even really late forties. It was scary. Um, But what are you going to do? This is, you know, this is what life is presenting me. Uh, All I can do is, is follow it. And this is where my passion is. This is where my excitement is. I, I feel like that's my obligation to, to follow that, my obligation to myself, my obligation to God. Um, and so I just had to trust that in some somehow, some way that, that things uh, would would work out. And, and I think that's how it goes. You know, you, it's leap and the net will appear. And, and you, you know, you have to burn the boats behind you or burn the bridge behind you. Um, and, and keep walking forward and, and just trust that you're going to figure it out. You know, if you give yourself a plan B, you're going to fall back on plan B. I, I, I never gave myself a plan B as an actor and, and now in what I'm doing. We talked about the misconceptions of celebrity life. What are some of the mis- misconceptions when it comes to healing? Because there's a lot of ideas and a lot of beliefs out there about healing so what are some of the misconceptions in your opinion haven't gone yeah, my opinion and doing what you do yeah i'll just i can only i can only speak from from my point of view so i don't want to say that all these statements are definitive but i would say it's it you you it's not a mental process so understanding is not enough you you have to have new experiences. Like th- there are things in your body, feelings in your body, stuck, pain, rage, fear. You have to confront, you have to deal with, you have to allow them to flow through you in the place where you have repressed feelings, feelings that you're afraid to feel. It limits your life because you're going to avoid any and all situations that, that might bring up those feelings. So if you're not afraid to feel, what are you actually afraid of? You know, if you're not afraid of rejection, if you're not afraid to, you know, put yourself out there, ask for the raise, go for the thing you want. um, All you're really afraid of is like, well, I don't want to feel the feeling of, of, you know, that I rejected or it was humiliated or denied uh, shame, you know, make myself bad once you let go of all of that, you're free. And so for me, I think that it, this, this work and is, is, is really the path to freedom um, because you're liberated. And I think once you are willing to feel all your feelings, it changes how you think it changes your, your frame of reality. You stop seeing things in a different way. And you only realize that once you've allowed yourself to feel now, the other thing I would say is that you have to be willing to confront your shadow. And all of us have a shadow and it's quite dark. I mean, if you look out into the world and see all the horrific things that are going on, those are your brothers and your sisters. And if you were in that situation, you can't be sure that you wouldn't do exactly the same thing. If I was 18 years old in 1938 Nazi Germany, I, I might have been a Nazi. I, I'd like to think I'd be one of the ones who stood up and said no, but I, I don't know that. I can't know that, right? We're all capable. And that is deeply humbling to come to terms with that aspect of ourselves. But it's vital that we do so. Because if not, if we deny our shadow, the part of us that can be cruel or judgmental or mean or wants to get revenge, punish for ways that we feel we've been hurt, you know, we attach ourselves to being a victim and then we rationalize punishing another in some way. 
if we deny that aspect of ourselves, uh, we're going to act it out. It's just that simple. Now, it, it might be in subtle ways, but we are going to to act it out. And so, uh, for me, that is primary. Understanding the depth of the devil essentially inside you and coming to terms with it and realizing that you're not going to eradicate it. It's not something that can be transcended or transformed. It's only something that you can come to terms with and keep an eye on. And we're, we're, there's a part of us that is a, there's a monster in all of us. And um, like, or there's a dragon in all of us and you better have control over that dragon or that dragon is going to have control over you. For sure. I can relate. We, uh, we can't wrap up this podcast without speaking a few words about Andrew Tate, who you sat down and interviewed some time ago. I think the video on YouTube has over 3 million views at this point. And uh, I watched the interview myself on the run up to this interview. Having gone through that process with Andrew Tate, who is potentially one of the most loved and also most hated men in the world today, certainly one of the most influential men in the world today. What's your opinion of him? I love Andrew. Uh, he's all out for everybody to see. He speaks his mind freely. He's uncensored. He's unfiltered. He's raw. He's passionate. He's free. And there's a lot that could be said about him, certainly. And I understand all the different opinions. And I, I understand all the ways that people react to him. Certainly, he's a provocative person. But first and foremost, I respect that aspect of him, that he's willing to let himself be seen all the way. That's vulnerable. It's, it's extraordinarily vulnerable to put yourself in that position. Uh, fighting is vulnerable to get into a ring with another man in front of thousands of people where you very likely might get your ass kicked and feel humiliated. Fighting all sports, it's intense vulnerability. you know. So I have a lot of respect for the man in the arena. And he is definitely a man in the arena. And I think he holds it well. I think he stands his ground and I think he's about something. And I think, you know, maybe he's representing an extreme version of uh, masculinity or of, of the pole of, of the masculine. But I think it that pole needs to be represented. So I'm, I'm a fan and, uh, He's, I think he's got a big heart. I think he's misunderstood. I think he's learning and growing like we all are. And listen, I sat across from him, from him well, twice now. I've done two interviews with him, but the last one, he was uh, incredibly vulnerable in that interview. I, I know people have a different opinion that he was guarded in certain ways, but he went along with my line of questioning and as, as a, as a psychotherapist, you know, it wasn't exactly a psychotherapy session, but I'm always looking for like, is the client giving me openings? Are they, is there a willingness for them to let me in? And he gave me all kinds of, open. I was surprised at how vulnerable he let himself to be and how much awareness he had around that. Uh, and when I would confront him on things that I thought were contradictions or distortions, mostly he considered, he took it in, he thought about it. So I, I'm, you know, I, I appreciate him. Uh, I'm glad that he's in the world. I'm glad that he's doing what he's doing. Uh, I, I also can understand the criticism and the judgment that some people have on him. It's all fair. But as I said, um, if you're, I, I just can't not respect the man in the arena. Is there some things that we could all take from him that we can apply in our lives that would massively improve? And is there some things that we 
should not tick? <laughs> um, Loaded question. Yeah. Well, I'll let I'll let others decide what they should, you know, not take. But uh, I guess uh, he's a hardworking guy. He takes responsibility for his life. Um, he's dedicated. He's loyal. I think those are all uh, great. He's courageous. Uh, he speaks his mind. He speaks what's true for him. I think those are all qualities that we all want to embody. And then the one thing that I really admire, and this struck me in both interviews that we did, he said that he has a responsibility to his ancestors. I think that's a deep concept that most, most of us have lost. I work a lot with, uh, you know, native Americans and I do a lot of native American uh, ceremonies and rituals. And there's a lot of talk about honoring the ancestors. I don't see that in Western culture. And so the fact that he's bringing up that he has a responsibility uh, to his ancestors, to all who came before him and all that they sacrificed so that he could be here. And so when he doesn't feel like, you know, getting up and working out or doing whatever he has to do, it's like, he remembers that. And I think that's honorable. And I think it's important. That's deep, man. Yeah. I haven't thought about that one. Uh, I, my own approach would be a responsibility for future generations. That too. Yeah. What I do will have an impact on what happens next or who comes after me. Yeah. So a bit of both. Yeah. Responsibility from the past and the, and responsibility for the future. And uh, yeah. And in terms of uh, your own work right now, and I know you, you help a lot of men with what the work mm -hmm. you do. You've got this 16 week course for men. <sighs> What's your own opinion of the state of masculinity in today's world? And are you optimistic for its future or are you, are you, are you quite afraid of, of what's to come or what's happening here? I think the worst is over for men. I think we've been on the receiving end of a lot of criticism. Some of it deserved, some of it not. I think there was a lot of uh, projection and blame placed on men that wasn't entirely fair. But that's also what it means to be a man. You, you, sometimes you got to take the hit and uh, people judge, blame, they don't see you and, and you've got to know yourself and hold on to your goodness and not react to it. So uh, I, nevertheless, um, I think it's been painful for a lot of men. I think it's been very confusing for a lot of men. I think, I mean, it was confusing for me uh, feminism and, and, you know, when you're a young man and you hear men and women are equal, you're like, Oh yeah, of course, you know? Um, and I think a lot of men stepped back and, uh, the polarity between the sexes got lost. And I think that's part of the reason that women were so frustrated. They didn't quite know why. And I think men felt helpless. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, but I think we're learning men, both men and women, how to maintain that polarity that wonderful, beautiful balance between the masculine and the feminine that everybody really wants, you know, we're learning how to do that in, in modern times. And so I'm seeing a lot of positivity out there. Um, a lot of people doing good work with men, men's organizations, men's groups. And I, I like what I'm seeing. Uh, it's about self-responsibility. It's about making yourself strong. It's about taking care of your business. It's about, you know, getting off of porn and video games and, you know, walking the straight and narrow. It's about honoring and protecting women. So I think that's all the messages that are out there, I think are really positive. I, I think, you know, the fact that you see Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson, which I know they don't apparently like each other, but they're essentially saying the same thing, which is clean your room, work hard, be dedicated, take responsibility. I mean, you know, 
Uh, the fact that you have a, a whole generation of men looking to these guys, and that's the core message that they're responding to, that tells you something. And so I think there's a call that's out. I think men are answering it. I think it feels good for men to answer it. I think if they don't have a mission or a purpose, I think they feel lost. And so um, I'm seeing something beautiful happening and and it feels new and integrated. So sort of a, a reclaiming of the old, but also an integration with the new. And as part of what I'm doing, I think, um, you know, I'm somebody who spent a lot of time feeling uh, which some might consider in, you know, in the feminine and, and certainly I have a strong feminine aspect to, to me, I'm interested in people. I'm interested in feelings. I'm interested in emotions, but I'm also a jockey guy who like does deadlifts and likes sports and likes to mix it up with the bros. So, uh, hopefully there's, and there's a lot, I think men like me who are, who are able to help men understand and integrate um, the emotional side of them that has been repressed for so long uh, to help them come to terms with it and, and, and realize that that's allowing that side to be there and, and to go there does not make you weak. Um, and you don't have to give anything up. You actually gain more by feeling more. Of course. And, and we, listen, we all know that it's good mm -hmm. to feel your feelings. I mean, everybody knows. It's, it's kind of basic. Everybody knows it's good to feel your feelings. And if you repress your feelings, it's, it's not, it's not good Phys physically, psychologically, spiritually. So that that's always the invitation that I make to my, you know, for my workshops, people say, what do you do? I'm like, I help people feel their feelings. And every single person responds by saying, yeah, I could probably use that. It's like, who can't use that? Right. It's basic. Brilliant. Well, I love the work you do. Um, I'm a huge uh, admirer of, of, of what you're doing and your, your content is absolutely on point. So for everyone listening to this podcast, where can they find your good work and, and follow you and potentially work with you at some point? Let us know. Yeah. Um, my website, davidsutcliffe.com. I mean, everything's there. My social media, uh, I post a lot on, on Instagram uh, videos and different things and, and all my offerings get listed there. So that's David 33.com. But again, you can, you can find it all at, at my website, David Brilliant. Well, I will add those in the show notes below. And in the meantime, keep fighting the good fight, my man, keep, keep feeling the good feelings <laughs> and the bad feelings. <laughs> Talk soon. Thank you, Gavin.